Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered, NAMIC's podcast and your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. This week's episode is once again sponsored by New England Asset Management. I'm your host, Kathy Inus, and today we're uncovering global insurance regulation. NAMIC's John Rogers discusses the latest international developments affecting the U.S. regulatory front. Plus, California battles dozens of wildfires and faces potential blackouts in a triple-digit heat wave. And time is running out to register for NAMIC's annual convention. Find out about the new activities planned for this year's event. But first, California is currently facing its highest chance of blackouts this year as a brutal heat wave continues to blanket the state with triple-digit temperatures. As people crank up their air conditioners, the state is forecasting record levels of energy use and is urging residents to conserve energy to avoid overpowering the state's electrical grid. The danger of wildfires is extreme as scorching heat and low humidity have turned brush to tinder. Four deaths were reported over the Labor Day weekend as some 4,400 firefighters battled 14 large fires around the state with 45 new blazes on Sunday alone. Thousands of people have evacuated their homes to escape these fires where multiple residential structures have burned. In Washington state, a judge has entered the final order declaring Insurance Commissioner Mike Kreidler exceeded his authority when he issued a permanent rule banning the use of credit-based insurance scores. The final order marks the end of this controversial rule. NAMIC worked alongside three other insurance trade associations to file the legal challenge. The order is an important victory for Washington consumers, particularly low-risk senior policyholders who were forced to pay more to subsidize higher-risk policyholders because the rule eliminated the use of credit. Well, we're less than two weeks away from the kickoff of NAMIC's 127th annual convention in Dallas, Texas. So today we checked in with NAMIC Vice President of Events, Education and Association Services, Krista Hassett, who gives us a preview of the new activities coming to this year's convention that attendees won't want to miss. We're going to hear about the regulatory environment from a panel of NAIC officers. Then we're going to talk a little bit about inflation. We've got a renowned economist coming in to talk about what's happening in our country and what people can expect in the next 12 months. And then we're going to focus in on cybersecurity and how companies can protect their data and their policyholders. And it's not too late to register to attend the annual convention in person or virtually. You can find the registration details, a complete agenda, and travel information online at NAMIC.org. As we told you on our last episode, NAMIC's policy team just returned from the NAIC's summer meeting in Portland, where they paid close attention to the discussion with the Secretariat on the comparability assessment between the IAIS International Standard and the U.S. System's aggregation method. Understanding the differences in these approaches to group capital is important for insurers who do business internationally. So we thought we would take a deeper dive on the issue for today's Unscripted as our Neil Aldridge sits down with NAMIC's Director of Financial and Tax Policy, John Rogers, to discuss the latest international developments affecting the U.S. regulatory front. Well, believe it or not, uh, global insurance regulation can have a major impact uh, on the mutual insurance industry and the 
the U.S.-based property casualty insurance industry. And today, we're going to talk about some of those topics with John Rogers. John is our director of financial and tax policy here at NAMIC. Uh, he's going to kind of bring us up to speed on what's been going on globally with insurance regulation. Some of you may recall after the financial crisis, this was a major topic of conversation uh, in the industry, broadly speaking. The ideas around convergence of financial regulation, the idea of one global capital standard for insurance companies, et cetera, it kind of died down uh, a little bit in the in the course of the pandemic, and now we see some of these issues revive themselves lately. And John and Namic have been engaged internationally in trying to shape uh, the substance of these regulations before they become part of the fabric, either globally or here in the U.S. So we're, we're going to talk about these issues today. We're going to try to keep it at a high level. This can get really weedy really quick, uh, but we're going to try to keep it at a level uh, that, that maintains a kind of a proper focus here. So, John, why don't you just kind of start uh, for the audience? You know, why do we focus on international developments? What's some of the backstory here? Just kind of level set the issues for us. Yeah, sure. So, so Neil, you mentioned the the financial crisis. I I like to kind of you know point to that as sort of the beginning of of when we really started to engage in these issues, and um, you know, with the problems that emanated from from AIG, it really got the attention of of global leaders. You know, from the G20 and the Financial Stability Board, and you know, those organizations ultimately you know exerted their pressure on international standard setting bodies like the IAIS or the International Association of Insurance Supervisors. And the IAIS is, is a lot like the NEIC. Um, you know, they develop uh, new uh, international uh, standards for, for insurance. Um, they maintain, enhance uh, existing standards. But one key difference um, is, is the uh, IMF or the Inter International Monetary Fund does an assessment of all of the you know financial uh, jurisdictions around the globe, including the state-based system here in the United States, um, and so you can imagine that that sort of uh, uh, you know pressure you know in influence on the NEIC, and we've seen over the last decade, Neil, um, you know whether it's been ORSA, the Own Risk Solvency Assessment, corporate governance, uh, group-wide supervision. Um, and now group capital. Um, and these are all very European centric uh, ideas. And, um, you know, we've seen them in some form or fashion make their way over over here in the state based system. And so that's why we, you know, closely follow these issues. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunately, a lot of folks would rather maybe just hope and pray that it doesn't happen here. Or, you know, we're a company <clears throat> that that doesn't do business internationally, like most of the U.S. property casualty uh, industry does not do business inter internationally. Most of the NAMIC membership uh, does not do business internationally. We have a few uh, here in the U.S. that do do business internationally, and obviously we have some members in Canada too. But uh, for most companies, many of them probably think, "Why should we care? You know, what what do we what what do we have to pay attention to this for?" And you cited some real life examples of. Uh, pieces of the regulatory system that are the law in this country today that have their origins uh, in these international discussions, and that's where they came from. So that's sort of why. So let's focus a minute on the group capital issue. 
So this, again, can get very complicated. Part of what we're trying to do actually is simplify it to some degree. Um, so talk about that issue in particular, where it stands today and, and what we think of it. Well, yeah, so it's important to, to, to note that, you know, the U.S. has, um, you know, group capital has been uh, around for at least five or six years. Uh, in some form or fashion, it's been around for 30 years, uh, just the way that uh, our capital regime is is built. Um, you know, the legal entities, you know, add up to to the top of the house. And so, um, but I think, you know, as far as, you know, what it, U.S. regulators have been doing internationally, and 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 what they, um, you know, what their voice is. Um, I th I think it's important to note that um, you know we have a voice out there. You know what we would call Team USA. Um, that's the Federal Insurance Office within uh, the U.S. Treasury. That's you know the Federal Reserve, um, and and state insurance regulators. But you know with this issue, and 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 like a lot of the other issues before it. Um, the IAIS is is heavily, you know, dominated by the European Union. Um, you know, if you look at it, there's 28 members uh, of the IAIS that are European countries. The U.S. has three. Um, you know, Fed, FIO, and 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 the NEIC. Um, so it's a very difficult, um, you know, unlevel playing field for for our regulators to, you know, uh, you know, talk about issues, particularly like group capital. Um, and and so over the years, we have seen some success uh, that U.S. regulators have been able to achieve, um, you know, in terms of the ICS or or what we're calling the insurance capital standard. Um, you know, Team USA has has been able to get some significant victories along the way, you know, through various uh, agreements that that have occurred, you know, over the last several years. Yeah, so you might want you talk a little bit about those agreements. Part of this comes from the the actual covered agreement. Part of it is separate from that, um, and, and it is important for the listeners to understand the IAS. As you mentioned, part of the problem we have here is that the U.S. Uh, voice may be heard, but they're simply outvoted. There are just not enough numbers uh, that might agree with us because it is made up of regulators from all over the world, uh, and that many of them have a viewpoint that is more consistent with their own regime and their own country that of course is different than ours we also have the dynamic there of these <clears throat> regulators being national regulators in their home country versus state regulators here uh, and and that dynamic is also kind of different and unusual but let's let's talk about the actual agreements a little bit about you know some of their content there yeah, so you know, I, I kind of characterize them as significant uh, victories, but you know, I don't know exactly how well they have served the U.S. regulatory community. You know, they um, there's two key agreements that that we'd like to point to. The first uh, was was in Kuala Lumpur in 2017, um, and so you know, in that agreement, you know, the the importance or or the 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 victory that that the U.S. came away with is that they simply recognize that our system's different. Um, you can call that a victory. You can call that, um, you know, whatever you want. But at 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 some point, you know, it's, it was important for us to, you know, get that acknowledgement that, in fact, the U.S. system is different. Um, you know, the way we do financial analysis is different. You know, we have a legal entity approach um, that is different from most countries around the world. 
Um, but ultimately, the, at that point, they they expanded the the uh, ICS to beyond internationally active insurance group, and they didn't at that point address any of our major concerns. You know, whether it's capital or excuse me, whether it's valuation or accounting. Um, but you fast forward to two years, you know, after that in 2019, you have the Kuala Lumpur, or excuse me, the Abu Dhabi. I'm getting my uh, uh, countries mixed up. <laughs> You're getting uh, exotic but, locations mixed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> but but with that agreement, that that was the formal acknowledgement that the U.S. has this thing called the aggregation method, right? The the way we add up our our group capital is a legal entity approach and and so that was important to get those concessions so that it could kind of set us up to where we are today in that hey one they've recognized it and two they're at least looking at the possibility of um you know considering that the, that our method could be uh outcomes equivalent but at the end of the day um, you know, they, they, they have not addressed the significant concerns, the, the, the various differences in approaches. Um, and, and one thing to note is, uh, you know, this is all just being created. This is not new. This has not been tested. Uh, whereas, you know, the aggregation method in some form or fashion has been tested, you know, for 30 years. And so I think that's a, a, another important component to, to uh, consider. Um, as we are kind of now where we're at with, you know, um, this comparability exercise. Right. So <clears throat> for the listeners, what John mentioned, the aggregation method, in the simplest terms, uh, many, many U.S. insurers are organized in some sort of a group structure, as many of our listeners know. You know, you might have uh, one company and maybe it has, you know, four or five subsidiary companies in the group. Each one of those are what we call legal entities for insurance regulation purposes. They all have their own risk-based capital score that, that exists in the current U.S. financial regulatory solvency system. And basically, the aggregation method just takes those scores of the each entity in the group and kind of puts them all together, and you get kind of a view of how, how strong, from a solvency perspective, that group is based on the strength of each legal entity in the group. And wh whereas the European side of the world has a different scoring methodology, they score it at the group level, not at the individual level. And we've been trying to convince folks that the way we do it here in the U.S. leads to the same outcome, right? It gets you to the same. If you're a regulator trying to evaluate the solvency of a group, our method in the U.S., can get you to the same place as a different kind of regime would in a different country. So that's kind of the the most simplest way to kind of explain all of this and kind of get to the point of what we're working on now. So fast forward in the exotic location dance, we had Abu Dhabi and Kuala Lumpur. We come up here recently whereby the IAS comes out with a new proposal um, that sort of goes backwards a bit, John, right? It kind of it kind of looks at the what we thought progress had been made on the aggregation approach and goes a different direction. So why don't you talk about that yeah. a little bit, where we are today? 
It, it really does, because, you know, we're back to the debate of, you know, comparing valuation methods to comparing, you know, capital uh, resources, capital requirements. And, and as you just said, you know, they're, they're vastly different. And so we have significant concerns with the existing proposal. It's the way that they've set it up. It's 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 unworkable and, and it's really too vague to really mean anything. Um, you know, ultimately, they've set this criteria up so that it precludes, you know, the aggregation method from even being considered uh, an outcomes equivalent uh, approach. And by the way, they they put the ICS as sort of the gold standard for which you must compare to. Um, and that's really putting, you know, stacking the deck against us. And and I hate to repeat myself, but we've had this uh, approach, you know, for three decades, and and it's not been acknowledged, you know, in throughout all of these negotiations, and so Team USA really does have their their work cut out for them once again, um, you know, and and I would consider this, you know, while we're moving forward incrementally, I I I agree with your assessment that it's it's sort of a step backwards, um, and another example where you know throughout this standard setting process that they're just not recognizing you know the differences in jurisdictional approaches. Yeah, for certain, there's some key differences along the way for sure. Uh, it's it's interesting um, for again for to put this in context, you know the U.S. system, you know we have we have certainly the largest insurance market in the world. We have the most insurance companies in the world. We, you know, have a pretty thriving economy. Our our insurers are strong financially. There's lots of them. Um, kind of different when you compare that market to other parts of the world, whereby there may be just a few very large groups operating in some countries uh, without the diversity in terms of the number of companies here in the U.S. But at the same time, the problem we have is that the world's regulatory community is sort of saying, well, no, we've got it right, and you, U.S. insurers and your U.S. solvency system has got it wrong. That's the, that's the, the you know, again, kind of simplest way to describe this problem we have here uh, in terms of what we're fighting against. And, of course, the implication being that we ought, we ought to adopt the system that they have, right, that that, that ought to be what this, where this goes. <clears throat> I think that's right, and I, I don't know if 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 all of these differences, you know, can be overcome. I I, I don't know if um, you know all of these missing criteria that they're going to use to compare the two uh, are the, if they're ever going to acknowledge it. You know, I think um, you know. Bottom line is, you know, we've you know our system is it's got some real advantages and it's unique. Um, it's 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 a risk-based approach. We ha we have different accounting, legal, um, capital frameworks. Uh, we don't put all our eggs in 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 the RBC basket, right? We we trend our troubled companies through these various other, uh, whether it's the guarantee funds, whether it's the rate regulation or or the approval uh, of prior notice of transactions. You know, we have various other you know components that are different. Um, and and so we we these are the tools that support our capital regime. And so I, I don't see how we could ever get to a point to where uh, these differences can be overcome, to where you know they can harmonize and and come up with a single global standard. Um, I, I I just see all sorts of problems. Yeah. You know, with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you kind of beg the question of what problem we're we trying to solve here, right? I mean, we yeah, at one point in time this the idea was that. You know, again, post-financial crisis, 
the whole introduction of systemic risk and its potential impact on world's economies that insurers might represent through that, I think we've all sort of demonstrated now those fears are not very real. Um, insurers really don't pose that kind of risk that was perhaps once thought of. And so perhaps the rationale for the need for having this sort of harmonized standard has probably been diminished. And then now we have the practical substantive differences that highlight the reason why this isn't going to work. And it begs the question, you know, what are we trying to fix here? So we've got coming up here another IIS meeting in November. Uh, this time in Santiago, Chile, for listeners also, you probably get the sense that these meetings happen all over the world. You're right, they do. Um, and this this meeting in November is in Santiago. So talk talk to us a little bit about what we think may or may not happen there. Well, so yeah, there's going to be a vote um, at this upcoming meeting. It's going to be uh, an up and down vote of whether this criteria that they're going to use to to compare the two, whether that's going to go forward. Um, and and all the way leading up to that meeting, we're, we're going to continue to stress to to Team USA, you know, that the recognition uh, of the U.S. group capital calculation uh, as an acceptable aggregation method uh, is necessary in order to avoid, you know, this prescriptive uh, one size fit all international global standard. Um, you know, we keep saying it's it's critical to ensure that uh, an aggregation approach to group capital both in the US and in other countries where US groups do business, it must be recognized or, or accepted. So we're hopeful, you know, that this upcoming meeting that uh, Team USA can kind of find their legs and, and, and be able to communicate, um, you know, these concerns, because it's not just, uh, you know, NAMIC members, you know, we're hearing this all over um, the US industry that, that this is really a, a non-starter. Yeah, I agree. And just also for listeners, this is a little different um, format the, the 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 process in which the IAS does these things. Uh, it doesn't always look like the traditional, you know, think of think of a committee hearing room where there's a lot of openness and transparency. We sort of have to hope that the U.S. regulators that are part of this process carry our message for the industry here, and and. That may be done well, it may not be done so well, depending on their effectiveness. It's not as though we can always make the case directly uh, just by the virtue of how these meetings are conducted. Uh, they're not exactly the model of transparency compared to what we're used to uh, in the US and the various you know, legislative hearings or in Congress or whatever might be a corollary that somebody might think of. Well, John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for all your work on this. It's a bit of a maddening process um, it's 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 challenging to measure progress. Um, we have done, I think, a really good job over the years of making our case. Uh, it does have areas of concern. Uh, again, it was sort of quiet for a little while, but now it's back. Then there'll be several more chapters, I suspect, after the meeting in Santiago. But thanks for joining us today, John. And thanks for all your work on these issues for NAMIC members. Yeah, no, appreciate to have the opportunity to talk about these issues. Thanks. And that's all for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. A special shout out to our sponsor, New England Asset Management. Be sure to tune in next time on September 21st for a special convention issue of the podcast. Until then, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.